Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in, Boston sports fans everywhere. Episode 11 of Boston's Big Four on the Believe Podcast Network. Home base for all things Boston sports for the fans of the City of Champions. Whereas you know, this sports business is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year passion. You can find the show on Apple, Spotify, and Google. New releases every Tuesday. All of our social media platforms are up and running. The info for those pages are up on our webpage, which you can find at Believe.com. Spelled B-L-E-A-V. I'm your host, Stephen Ace Norman. Here on episode 11, I figure we'll do a charcuterie board type of episode. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Some of those topics being the state of the Celtics at the All-Star break as that fantastic weekend just passed by. Also want to touch on Burt Breer and others who cover the team and the latest on the coaching staff that continues to be worth watching here. A team that needs plenty of coaching, needs a lot of work, and what Bill Belichick intends on doing, how the Patriots plan on intending to fill those roles, and really, who's going to be those guys? Because that's up in the air right now. And maybe, even maybe, some baseball notes. A little MLB talk here, as spring training supposed to be getting underway right now, and baseball is in another lockout, unable to work through their disputes and their labor negotiations, just killing any momentum that baseball has built over the past couple of years or especially the last year here in Boston. But we'll get to that. What I want to start with is a topic that at the time that we last discussed, I promised that we be revisiting it, that it was definitely not dormant. It was definitely a story, a topic that was going to continue to be talked about And really, the topics that we would talk about said player may be different, but that it would definitely be something that came back up. Of course, that's the gift that keeps giving and Tom Brady and his wink, wink, nod, nod, retirement. And that's always going to be a Boston thing. So for those who are tuning into the episode saying, well, this isn't exactly Boston centric. Well, piss off. Have you paid attention to the last 20 years? And I say piss off, and I I really don't mean that. I want you to continue to listen. So I apologize, but let me explain. Uh, Tom Brady's always going to be a Boston thing, okay? It's always going to be tied to the New England Patriots and watching him retire and sail off into the sunset, no pun intended, is something that we're going to continue to do. And I know many of you here in Boston are going to continue to do. And what I love about this story is not that Tom Brady was one of my favorite football players growing up and still to this day is one of my favorite players to watch each and every week just because of the brilliance that he brings to the game and the way that he goes about executing it and bringing everyone along with him. I mean, we can talk about that for days and days and days and really the appreciation for what he brings, but that's not what I like about it as a talk show host. In fact, it's the opposite of that because... Since Brady retired, we've talked about basically everything except his greatness on the field. And that's because Tom Brady's retirement, and I say that once again, kind of half chuckling, has been more like a daytime soap opera. I don't know, Days of Our Lives 
Or if you want to go back to my youth, my high school years, the OC, where there's always something, and it's high school drama, it's high school BS, and it's really a, oh, wait a minute, let's see what he does next, let's see how this plays out next, let's see who looks petty and silly next, let's see who points the finger next, let's see who leaks something to this guy or this girl or this person or this that or whatever. I mean, if you go back, he announced the official retirement on February 1st. And the whole thing since then, or even going back before then, has been a mess. You had the leak retirement that really started it all. And if you really want to be fair, what started it all was Brady completely changing his tone from how he spoke mid-season to Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times up until the end of that playoff run that ended with the loss to the Rams. And then Brady has the leak retirement stuff, Jim Gray does the interview with Tom on their podcast, the Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray and Tom Brady and Larry Fitzgerald on the last day of January, where he says, yeah, I haven't made any decisions yet. Jim Gray, in turn, goes on to Sean Hannity's show on Fox News and says, yeah, Brady hasn't decided anything yet. In less than 24 hours, you have an announcement of an official retirement. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Once again, I have to throw that in there. Because I don't know that that's exactly what's going on here. And I'll tell you, when I first heard the the announcement, when I first read it, I should say, I said, yeah, you know what? He is done. I I just don't see him doing a Farvian-esque return from retirement, back and forth, fence-sitting. And I know that things weren't all gravy there in Tampa, but I I just couldn't see him doing what it seems like he's doing now which is basically a power play attempt at getting to ultimately where he wants to be. Because you had never say never once again on that Jim Gray podcast. Then the next week he's saying, yeah, I'm super content and happy with how I feel about my decision. All I want to do is take it day by day. Nothing's promised for us. I'm going to do things I really enjoy and spend time with people that I really enjoy spending time with. And then, of course, reports surface Super Bowl weekend that he could return at some point in next season. And that matched up with Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero's report that Brady hasn't shut the door on playing in 2022. And oh yeah, by the way, Tampa Bay hasn't closed the door and they're not giving up hope on his return. And that surely surprised me because we know that Brady was irked that the announcement of his retirement was leaked in the week of the NFC and AFC championship game. He didn't want the attention on him. He wanted it to be on the guys who have earned the right to be there. BS. <laughs> That's another funny aspect. Tom Brady doesn't like the all the attention. He doesn't want to be the, the talk of the town. This is a guy that has become a complete attention whore. Any chance he gets to have the limelight on him and to take away the shine of that light on someone else, he does it. This guy is ruthless now in his craving of attention and craving of you talking about him, being in the news. The most recent saga from the Tom Brady Retirement Chronicles was former teammate Rich Ornberger. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Played three years with Tom Brady in New England. He tweeted out last week the following. Here are some interesting things recently. The Tom Brady and Bruce Arians honeymoon was over in Tampa. The retirement announcement wasn't because of trouble seeing eye-to-eye on the offensive game planning, but the relationship was souring. Ornberger added, 
Apparently, while Arians was rehabbing the Achilles in the early mornings, offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich and Brady would work on the week's game plan. Arians would later come in and take the red pen to work they'd done. The QB and OC felt undermined. There was tension. Bruce Arians, of course, had to respond because who could let anything from the well-respected, well-resourced media outlet of Twitter just fall by the wayside without some form of response. So Arians, talking to Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, told him that that report pissed him off, that he didn't even rehab in the morning, and he definitely didn't delete anything that Brady and Leftwich had worked on together. That was an awesome collaboration, one of the best that Arians had been around in his NFL career. And he also added that he never uses a red pen for game planning. And I found that to be uh, really funny because, well, Bruce, I I don't think he was saying that you literally used a red pen. It's a form of expression. And that's just Bruce Arians showing his age, the old guy banging the table saying, see, that's false. I, I don't use a red pen. Never use a red pen. I use blue ink. In a series of tweets on Saturday night, Ornberger doubled down on his initial tweets about the Brady and Arians relationship, adding this, at a certain point, During the 2021 season, Brady successfully seized control of the offensive game plan, adjusting the play calls he didn't believe would work. Additionally, there was a feeling of resentment in the building towards Arians. In a separate tweet, Ornberger added this, While others worked around the clock in Tampa to build a winner, head coach Bruce Arians had a much lighter work schedule per multiple impregible sources. It's only been rumored who those sources are, Ornberger played and has a close relationship with A.J. Shipley, who's on the Buccaneers coaching staff. But once again, those are just rumors and people trying to connect the dots. He says multiple sources. So there's obviously a connection there with Shipley. Who's to say that he doesn't know other coaches, players through Shipley? But we just don't know. Regardless who Ornberger's sources are, or anyone else for that matter, what you really can't debate is that Brady remains one of the best quarterbacks in the game. Last year, runner-up in the MVP race, which I don't really care about, but tells you the level that he's still playing at, once again, age 44. He led the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns. And at no point in time have you ever heard Brady say, I don't want to play anymore, or I don't think I'm capable at playing at an MVP-type level, a championship level. Because I don't believe that Brady won doesn't want to play. I think he does. And two, I know he still believes he can. So for Brady to retire when he did, knowing that he still has love for the game, he still wants to play the game, he still can play the game at a high level, there are only two reasons why he would step away. One, he's not happy playing the game where he's playing the game. Something that he dealt with in New England. He still craved the game. He still craved NFL football, but he didn't crave playing it in New England. Because he wasn't happy here. And the second reason would be family and people needing your attention, people pushing for your attention, people clamoring to have you at home. It's no secret that for years, Giselle has been wanting Tom to retire. Whether it be after the Super Bowl a couple years ago, saying to him on the field, what more do you have to prove? Or the fact that Tom admitted in an interview with Howard Stern on XM Radio that the couple had to go to marriage counseling years back to deal with the fact that Tom wasn't giving Giselle what she needed and there were issues there in that marriage. 
So it's no secret that there's been issue and tension around Tom continuing to play after achieving everything that he's achieved and Giselle feeling like she needs her husband at home. It's very rare that someone makes a life-altering decision on just one reason. There's usually one reason that is the catalyst, but it's not just for one reason. So when Tom initially retired, I went through the reasons why he stepped away from the game when he decided to. And I had at the top of that list family, as many did. But as the last month has carried on, I'll tell you, I'm more and more believing it's about Bruce Arians and it's about the Buccaneers organization as a whole and their decision to stick with one Bruce Arians instead of moving on from him. Even going back to that very first season that Tom was down in Tampa, I never saw it as a perfect match. Arians and his style of play and the way that he structures a team and Brady coming from New England and the way that Bill has structured his team for so many years and the way that that Tom took on a lot of what Bill did as far as preparation and attention to detail. I mean, listen, it's really difficult to spend 20 years in one place doing doing things one way and then completely flipping the switch to basically Mardi Gras for your final two years in the league. I think that culture down there in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians is very similar to going on vacation or going to Vegas. It's fun for a couple of days. You can enjoy yourself. But after a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, a year, it wears on you. You get tired of it and it's not as fun anymore. You're just worn down by constantly having to stay on top of yourself and stay on top of others to do the right thing day in and day out. When the news first came down that Brady was going to retire, one of the reasons I listed on my reasons of why now was the fact that Brady didn't believe in the roster and the ability to bring back the core, if you will, to run it back. I'm less believing of that now, thinking that that is still an uphill climb, And it still may be a power play for Brady to say, I want this guy and that guy and this guy and you move here and you move there. And this is what I want the roster to look like. But I'm less in belief that that's what Brady's looking for as much as he's saying, I don't believe in the coach's ability to keep in line anybody that you bring in. It doesn't matter who it is, even if it's the guys that were already here. I think that Brady likes a tight ship for others. He's not so concerned about a tight ship for himself because he believes that he's able to keep himself in the right frame of mind. So he didn't want Bill breathing down his back, okay? He didn't want that for himself. He didn't think it was needed for a player like Rob Gronkowski, but I still think that he likes and wants that structure for players around him, that he doesn't want to have to be the coach. He likes when he can be. He likes when he has say over the game plan and gets credit for the win and credit for building a culture and being the leader of that culture. But I think being the GM... Being the head coach, being the quarterback, war on Brady. And over two years, it was enough. He had done enough. He had put in enough blood, sweat, and tears, if you will. He was tired of it. And he's tired of of making up for Bruce Arians' mistakes, just like he was tired of covering up for Bill Belichick's roster deficiencies. So my perspective on this has changed greatly, to say the very least. Mike Florio, as soon as Brady retires, wink, wink, nod, nod, is writing about, wait, 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 doesn't feel right. And there feels like there's something coming down the pike. And is he really retired? And at first I swatted at that saying, no, come on. He's not going to be Brett Favre. But the more and more you look at it, Brady's retirement post felt more like a goodbye to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers than it did a goodbye to the NFL. I mean, he, he talked about 
the coaching staff, the players, it almost felt like an announcement you would make if you were leaving a team that you were with for a long time rather than if you were leaving the game entirely. There was no elaborate celebration of Brady's career or a big announcement with a video on YouTube or Instagram or Twitter or all three of them. I mean, you, you get it. The the social media explosion that you would expect from a guy like Tom Brady with a social media team that you know he has by his wayside. So maybe it's a conspiracy theory what I'm about to throw out there, but I wouldn't write it off with a guy that is as calculated as Tom Brady. Isn't it possible that he was the source that leaked to Adam Schefter or he instructed the source that leaked the information to Adam Schefter to get it to him or Ian Rappaport or how about Rich Ornberger? Is it possible that Brady's the source behind that? Maybe he's truly done. Maybe he's not coming back and there's no chance that he actually has that desire to play. Although he, in his own words, said, never say never. Maybe he really is, you know, concerned with spending time with his family. But I'll tell you, and I know that people aren't going to like me saying this, there are two things in this day and age that people tend not to want to question because they looked at and are perceived as a-holes. It's anytime someone mentions mental health, or anyone mentions their family. And Brady here, being the calculated guy that he is, and knowing that Giselle didn't want him to play football any longer, but that was, the last time we really heard about that, that was more so back in his New England days, when she also felt that he wasn't being respected. So is it possible that Brady says to her, hey, listen, I'm not happy here in Tampa anymore, okay, but I still want to play football. I just want to do it where I'm happy. Are you still on board with that like you were when we came here? to Tampa Bay, and and I wanted to be in a place that I felt I was going to be respected. Okay, so you're all right with that. Well, do you mind me playing you off here as I'm spending time with my family? And by the way, I am. If this doesn't pan out, that's okay. But if I can get to, let's say, San Francisco, where I really want to be, my hometown team that I grew up worshiping, are you okay with that? Is that something you'd be on board with? I wouldn't write that possibility off. I also wouldn't write off the possibility that maybe Brady is saying, I'm going to take away time from the game right now. I am retired. Giselle, baby, bunchy pants, you got me. We're going to spend the next six months together traveling, doing whatever you want, and I'm going to be here. Thinking that in the back of his mind, hey, listen, if we spend this quality time together, and yet I still have that itch to come back and play in the right situation is ready for me, you know what, I'll come back to the table and talk to her about it. I'm just at the point where I'm not ruling out any of these possibilities because I look at Brady and the calculated way that he's handled his whole career and the PR persona that he puts out there for himself. And I figured like if he was trying to work his way out of a second team, he'd do it all behind the scenes. He wouldn't want to get his hands dirty because he doesn't like the perception from the public that he's a diva. And if you look at this situation, he doesn't want to seem high maintenance. He doesn't want to seem like the two coaches that he's played for in his entire career. He had a problem with both of them after winning six Super Bowls with one and another Super Bowl with another coach. I mean, you tell me, does that come out good looking for Brady if the problem once again is another head coach, regardless of if it's Bruce Arians or the tough minded Bill Belichick, the tough around the edges Bill Belichick? I mean, listen. There is a point where people start to say, if you're the common denominator and both problems, you're the problem. Brady may be just sitting here saying, hey, you know what? I don't want to look bad. So what I'll do is I'll retire. Okay. Yeah, I'll do it. I'm retiring. Don't worry about me. I'm sailing off into the sunset. It's all the Brady brand and TB12 and production companies. It's all of that stuff. Listen, I'm happy. I'm good. I'm not saying never say never, but you know, right now, no, I'm good. Waiting for the bucks to say, you know what? 
We don't want to go back into the abyss of nothing where we were before Brady decided to come down here and grace us with his talents and turn around our entire franchise, the most losing franchise in all of sports. So we'll go out and look at the market. Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. Yeah, you know what? We're, we're interested. We'll trade away the draft assets. We'll, we'll make a play for those guys because we don't want to go back to the bottom of the league, especially where our division is extremely winnable now even more so than it was a year before, two years before. And that could be what Brady's waiting for. That opportunity where Tampa makes a move for another veteran quarterback with a big salary. And although the Buccaneers still own his rights, they can't afford to pay him and another veteran. So you know what they do? They trade Brady to make room for the new guy because Brady's salary and the new guy just can't coexist together. And at that very point in time, Brady has the leverage because if he comes back and he unretires, you can't afford to pay him, which means if he stays unretired, you have to release him. And if you don't trade him to a place that he wants to be, you could trade him and then he could decide that he walks away at any point in time. So what is another team actually going to give up for him? It's a power play for Brady. It ultimately could be the ultimate power play for Tom Brady. So what I'm saying is, in the words of Kevin Garnett, anything is possible with Tom Brady at this point. Really, it is. And it's one of the reasons why I love that Tom Brady is still kicking around there, still kicking up dust, because it's infuriating as a sports fan to have a player that retires, doesn't want to retire, is up in the air, make make a decision. Okay, we're not all just sitting around here waiting for you. But the difference is, is yeah, we kind of are. And in this business, there's always talk fodder that comes from Tom Brady and rumors and reports from Tom Brady or about Tom Brady. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I'd like to transition to the Boston Celtics now, who at the All-Star break are 34 and 26, the sixth seed in the East, just four and a half back of the Heat and the Bulls. Uh, Listen, that All-Star game weekend, I tell you, that is one of the worst in sports. And I know people love it with the NBA and the dunk contest and the skill competition and the shooting. The shooting is really the only one that I enjoy. The uh, Celebrity All-Star Game, that sucks too. I tell you, that product that the NBA put out there over the weekend is absolutely horrible. And I don't care, you know, LeBron hit the game-winning shot and it was a close game, please. That is the absolute worst All-Star Game of them all. And I didn't even know that was possible after just watching the Pro Bowl. But that one's even worse. I mean, it really sucks. Maybe it's not worse. Maybe I'm just criticizing because it's what I just saw. But it is pretty, pretty bad. I mean, I I watched it on Saturday and I was saying, is this really the best the NBA can put forward for a dunk contest that used to be an eyeball-catching event? But I'm not here to talk about what changes should be made to the NBA All-Star Game or what changes to the dunk contest should be made to get viewership back up or get the product back to what it used to be. Because I think that that conversation could go on for a long time. And honestly, I really don't care about it anymore. I really don't care about All-Star Games in general. What I do care about is the Boston Celtics. And the change and the way that they've played, their effort, their attitude since the calendar flipped to January. They're 17 and 7 during that period, 9 and 2 since January 28th. Last week on the episode, we talked about the moves that Brad Stevens made and why they were the right moves. Not just to complement the current group, but also to give Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown a little bit of confidence that, hey, listen, we got your back. We're building towards something. We're not sellers. We're investing in this team. We believe in you guys that what we've seen here over the last couple weeks, last few weeks, is the real deal. And I think it was the right move. It was the right decision for Brad Stevens on multiple fronts. But ultimately, the Celtics, right after that trade deadline, ran off three wins. 
the Nuggets, the Hawks, and then the statement win versus the 76ers last week. 48 points. They led by 51. And I know that people said, well, there was no James Harden post-trade deadline. I don't care. That was a statement win by your Boston Celtics that put them back on the map, playing the right brand of basketball. They also were not full-handed as they were without Robert Williams and Marcus Smart got hurt in the second quarter. So listen, that was a big boy win for the Celtics. That was a statement win. Another reason for encouragement with this group as you look at contending here this season, which just a few weeks back you would say, nope, definitely no shot. This team still doesn't get it. And you come off of a win like that and you say to yourself, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. They're playing to their capability. It's nothing that they weren't capable of before, but they weren't doing it. And there's a big difference between doing and are capable of doing. One of the nitpicks with the Celtics was the competition they had beaten. It wasn't exactly the best of the NBA. And if you look at the 76ers, if you look at the Nuggets, if you look at the Hawks, those are three opponents that they may not be having stellar years. The 76ers are having a pretty good year. The Nuggets are having a below expectations type of season. The same with the Hawks after going to the NBA Finals just a year ago. But those are all good teams. And that's all post-trade deadline. That's when the rosters know what they are. And they're making that final push right before the All-Star break. But knowing that there's probably only about 22 to 24 games remaining. So these are teams that are in the hunt. That were playing for something that you had to beat. You had to show that you were capable of beating. And the Celtics won all three. And they got contributions from Derek White. Who looked good in crunch time minutes in a couple of those games. And Daniel Tice who, you know, for what he is, gave them something. So the Boston Celtics gave you something there post-trade deadline to give you, once again, more encouragement that they could actually beat those teams. And then in Celtic fashion, they lay an egg the night before the All-Star break. 112-111 loss to the inferior Detroit Pistons. And you saw the Celtics fall back into their old habits pressing, trying to make plays instead of committing to passing the basketball. They were committing turnovers. They were bullied. They were out physicaled by a Detroit team that is not good. And the loss doesn't completely spoil the run. Okay, they're still 9-1 over their last 10. But it also shows that for everyone that was ready to buy in, wanting to buy in, willing to buy in, myself can also, you know, duped a little bit, that they're still capable of reverting to their old ways. And with all that said, I'm still not selling on the Boston Celtics. Yep, that left a bad taste in my mouth. Yep, I have a little bit of doubt now going into the break that the Boston Celtics have completely changed their ways from who they've been for the past two plus years. But still, I look at the Eastern Conference with Milwaukee, the Miami Heat, the Chicago Bulls, the Brooklyn Nets, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the list goes on. And I say the Celtics should match up against any of those teams. Would I outright pick them against all of those opponents? No, probably not. But I give them a shot in any one of those matchups. And they have on paper the better talent. They have some of the more experienced players in those matchups. And the Celtics at this point in their time, with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in their fifth and sixth year, should be capable of leading a team to a deep playoff run. So I'm hoping that that loss to Detroit serves as a wake-up call and once again refocuses them, saying, okay, listen, we we didn't do the right things right before the All-Star break. We were ready to get away. Okay, we were looking forward. We can't do that. That's been one of our problems 
playing down to lesser teams, not being ready and not playing up to the energy and effort that opposing teams bring on a given night, especially a team that shouldn't be in a game with you. So you know what? We got to take that as a wake up call. Okay, we were on a great run. Let's reorganize, get back from the break, rest our bodies and make a real push here in the final 22 games of the season. Because that number one seed is still up for for grabs. None of the top teams have separated themselves, whether it be COVID or injuries or just not great basketball. So the Celtics have 22 games to grab a hold of that opportunity and not let it pass them by like they did the year that the NBA Finals took place in the bubble, where they had it at their fingertips and they just let it slide through. So they have Brooklyn on Thursday night, still two nights away. We'll see if they get back on the right track. I'm hoping they do. I'm hoping that a mixture of Adoka and a mixture of the fact that they've seen what doing the right things and actually following through on the assignments that are given to you and the roles that you are asked to play upon will actually feed into them going on another winning streak, which is plenty feasible because they're at Brooklyn, which means they're still going to be without Kyrie. Then they have the Pistons, the Pacers, before next Tuesday's matchup versus the Atlanta Hawks. And there you have it, episode 11 of Boston's Big Four in the books. I know I teased some stuff on the coaching front for the Patriots and also MLB's lockout. We'll get to that on the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I always hope you enjoy the episode. If you did and you want to hear more, please subscribe and download the show, Apple, Spotify, and Google. New episodes every Tuesday. Be sure to follow us on social media. We have an Instagram, a Facebook, and an email. Thank you for loaning me your ears and attention. I know it's valuable. Until next week, Boston, be well, be healthy, be real. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.